You're listening to the Silken Community Podcast. Your favorite source for gaming, film, and internet debate starts now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Soken Podcast. I'm your host, T, and with me are Jace and Leo. Jace Drayson! I'm Leo. Feels uh, feels like we were talking about Naughty Dog pretty pretty recently here, guys. and Almost like it was not even a month ago. Yeah, when it's man. not even a month, you can't even call it full circle, right? Look, man, if we can find a reason to shoehorn Star Wars into every single episode we do, we can talk twice about some other subject. Shoehorns are necessary. Have you ever tried to get your foot into a shoe that doesn't quite fit? You have to have a shoehorn. Even if it's perfectly fit, sometimes that shoehorn really makes the difference. I've got like four shoehorns in my house, actually. <laughs> For, for the occasion where I'm trying to wear some dash, dress shoes. That, yeah, those hardback dress shoes will tear your heel up if you ain't got really a shoe will. on. Yeah. What are we Besides, talking about? <laughs> if we do it three times, it becomes thematic, right? Yeah. Or it's a motif. Yeah. Alright. Wheels will keep on turning, and maybe we'll eventually come back around and talk about Star Trek for another time. Make that a motif, too. This week, we'll be talking about the end of Star Wars, the Clone Wars, and recent leaks from the upcoming titles of Bethesda and Naughty Dog, The Elder Scrolls Six, and Last of Us Two. So May 4th has come and gone already, the wonderful celebration of Star Wars. Uh, we decided to wait to talk about it because we wanted our listeners to have some time to catch up on the information, but we're not going to wait too long. Along with some new announcements about upcoming movies, the finale of the Clone Wars series aired on Disney+, Plus, finally bringing an end to the prequel story of Ahsoka, Rex, and Maul. If you haven't seen the end of the season yet and you're looking to avoid spoilers, we recommend waiting to listen to this section of the podcast until after you've had the chance to do so. The ending of The Clone Wars showed us how both Ahsoka and Maul survived Order 66, not only thanks in part to each other, but majorly because of Rex. We learned in Rebels that the reason Order 66 was carried out, despite the clone's relationship with the Jedi, was due to a chip that forced them to take the command. And near the end of the Clone Wars, we saw Ahsoka remove that chip from Rex, giving him back his free will. How do you guys feel about these control chips as a canon plot point? I I think they're a very interesting plot point. Um, I remember, I, I have... Um, I don't know, it, it's not necessarily a unique perspective, but I have the perspective of of a soldier, a person who um, understands the way that the military, um, at least the military we're familiar with, um, can condition a person to certain behaviors that uh, may be otherwise contrary to their personality. Um, and I, uh, I'll say a lot of that training is very effective. Um, I think the argument could have been made that without the chips, um, they very well may have seen a successful Order 66, um, even in spite of some of the relationships um, the clones had with the Jedi. However, I think the addition of the chip eliminated the need for those arguments. It just, you know, 
it just was they acted even against some of their own will so uh, it's a decent plot device i think it's less interesting but it gets the job done it what's super interesting to me is that this has almost become kind of a star wars canon trope or meme that that star wars has a tendency to to in a later installment fix something that didn't quite make sense in a previous version um it's it's happened several times it happened pretty dramatically in um rise of skywalker trying to i don't know about retcon but certainly squeeze in some of the things that um ryan johnson did in the last jedi um but i think that this that's what this was now i was a rebels fan so i did watch and i did get to to see rex and his buddies wolf and whoever the other one was i can't remember in um in rebels so i kind of already knew i knew that piece of of lore but um it was fascinating to get to see it actually happen during um during clone wars i was i was pleased that they held that thread but part of it is because you know cl what clone wars did previous to this season was really created those relationships between between the troopers and the jedi and the trooper and the other characters and we didn't get that in the in the prequels in the prequels the clone troopers were just clones they didn't have a lot of individual personality sure we knew cody's name but beyond that there wasn't a lot there so them suddenly turning um on the jedi when order 66 was declared could be justified in a bunch of different ways they they had that was always the plan they were always kind of turned but Clone Wars changed that dynamic by making these characters likable, gave them real relationships with each other and with the Jedi. So at some point, I, I, my feeling is the, the writers realized we can't just make these guys evil in the end because they were told to do something. We've got to have a device to make their, their Order 66 thing make sense. And so I kind of think that's what the chip was. I've had some, well, th this is, a, I think, a deeper, perhaps more philosophical conversation that we don't necessarily have time to really dive into but um, I've had a number of conversations like this with regards to military conditioning and um, military culture um, when it comes to carrying out orders that one disagrees with personally um, uh, I, I remember in a lot of avenues of my own professional career in the military um, that kind of behavior when you follow an order that you disagree with personally um, in a lot of ways it's it's lauded as being professional um and i think you can ramp that up to certain degrees to um i don't know th th there's certainly a level of propaganda that occurs um among uh, a military to say these are the enemy um to vilify the enemy and to create uh the impression of evil uh where they're you know simply the opposing side or they're simply um, you know, the other poor suckers who are fighting for the other government or, or you know, whatever, whatever force. Um, it, I, I do think there's a lot of very interesting things to be explored um, with that. I don't, I don't think it was the wrong decision to go with chips necessarily. I do think, though, that a very interesting dynamic could have been explored with um simply uh, you have clones of a of a person who seems to be militarily oriented um you could have found out what those triggers were for that personality type 
and simply encourage that personality type to do things that might have been contrary to their own nature, but in line with their belief that you know, they're pursuing the greater good of the Republic. Um, there, there really could have been some interesting exploration there. Um, yeah, the difference to me is that while there is the idea of being able to do heinous things to your enemy, these guys turned on their generals. The Jedi were the generals of the army, so it would have they've they've been fighting this clone war along the your general for years, and suddenly you get an order out of the blue from the ultimate administration, right? That says, okay, now kill your general. I think that there's that's a different leap to me. That's different than saying, you know, sure. follow this order and do this really bad thing to our enemy, rather than getting the the, the chief of chiefs to tell you now kill all your chiefs right I, I think it would have been better to have explored the idea of vilifying the jedi um because yes they were they were the commanders of the clones over the course of most of the conflict but you know perhaps it is surprisingly not difficult to say these guys killed your friends by making this decision to go here or you know what, what whatever it is that uh, tends to be a uh, you know a means of vilifying a group i really don't think it's as hard as a lot of people think especially for a military throughout the final arc of clone wars we've seen maul on multiple occasions try to offer to team up with ahsoka to bring down the emperor only for her to refuse every time do you think that ahsoka should have helped him that's a dumb question of course not Darth Maul. That's all you need to know. He's freaking Sith. You know, he also tried to tempt Ezra Bridger in Rebels. That's kind of his MO is uh, he, this chaotic figure of <laughs> like neither side of the war. Let's pull the fringes into the center and just benefit our own selves. But no, 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 no. Of course Ahsoka should not have joined him. I don't necessarily disagree um, I think Ahsoka is right to not trust him because, yes, Darth Maul, duh, of course. Um, the guy is clearly self-interested. The guy is clearly um, not benevolent. But um, he clearly saw what was coming. Um, he, he, well, not clearly. He seemed to know what was coming. The guy seemed to have an inside track to the kinds of challenges that they were facing um i do think he was a character that could have if ahsoka had chosen to i don't know if manipulates the right word but work alongside uh, cautiously and knowing that this guy's going to turn on you um there could have been better results um some successes could have been met that weren't but you know the the outright refusal, um, I don't know. Not that it was the wrong call, quote unquote, but, um, but I think better results could have been made if, if she had been a little bit more savvy, if she had played his game and outplayed him. Well, let me just let you know, Ezra Bridger tried that later on in the timeline and it did not work out very well for him. He's no Ahsoka. I get it. I, kind of I was about to say those exact words. He's no Ahsoka. Speaking of Ahsoka, do you guys still think, do you, would you still consider her to be a Jedi? We've seen her say that she isn't a few times now. I think that she's a gray Jedi. I mean, according to the way we define gray Jedi. So that, which, 
is a Jedi who is not under the authority of the council. But yes, I think that in some ways, now this is going to get a little philosophical here, uh, Jedi philosophical anyway. In some ways, I think she was more of a true Jedi than the Jedi Order of the time of the Clone Wars slash Galactic Civil War. Because her... Her, her values really were more about old school, I guess we could, we can now call it um, High Republic Jedi. The Jedi had no business being generals in the Clone War. That was all part of Sidious' plan and it went left on them just like it shouldn't have happened. In fact, Yoda later on in um, Rebels admits that it was a mistake that the Jedi lost their way, that they they were not peacekeepers anymore and became soldiers and that was never the point of the Jedi. They I think that was screwed up. that says that. He may have said it at some point, but uh, Yoda, oh, you mean in, close, in Clone Wars? Yeah, Yoda says it in Rebels to Ezra Bridger in, in a really poignant moment of, of what I consider poignant of Star Trek reveal. You know, we don't ever think that the, the Jedi are so stupid in the prequels and during the Clone Wars. Like, they just make every wrong choice. And I think that Ahsoka was a little more tuned in to the right and wrong of it. And she wasn't necessarily blinded by uh, the Shroud of the Dark Side. I think that she was more jedi than the jedi however by definition I, I would call her a gray jedi because she did not submit to the authority of the council i think we have to take her perspective as most important and her perspective was that she wasn't so it's a it's a very simple answer for me um the idea of being a jedi is one that changed over time um what is it to be a jedi what is it to represent the jedi and what are the jedi's ideologies those things have not i mean you you can you can chisel them in stone and say that they're static but they they weren't um throughout any of the narratives they constantly evolve and change um and as a result um i think depending on the time period and depending on who you're talking to they get to decide whether or not they consider themselves one thing or another. The fact that she didn't consider herself a Jedi, regardless of whether or not she embodied what we think are the ideologies of the Jedi, makes her not one. And uh, that's it. I think I don't wanna I don't wanna go too far into real life here, but it's kind of like and I won't name any specific religion, but it's kind of like when there's a religion in our world and there is this whole representation of what that religion is, right? And it's not always good. But when you think about what the founder of that religion really taught, <laughs> um sometimes there's not a lot of congruence there. And the original intent or what was supposed to be the the guiding light of a movement really got perverted over time. And so then at that point, if someone is following the original intent of say that particular religion in current day and don't consider themselves a member of a particular organized body, are they that religion or aren't they? Well, would you, consider the jedi a religion i think I in would. some ways yeah absolutely i would um it's certainly i mean you've got to have faith follow that creed i mean it's it's hard for for sure and there is a, a level of giggity <laughs> there is a level of devotion certainly that has to be there in order to be a jedi for sure um, but and i i mean i guess it is semantic in some way she didn't say she was a Jedi, and when when Yoda asked her if she was, she said not yet. So right, and that but, to me is definitive. 
but like, the citizens if you think about the two the the wonder twins with the ship and the bike the the mechanic ladies i can't think of their names in the clone just the recent series <laughs> the clone wars <laughs> they called her more of a jedi than the jedi she they they said that she restored their faith in the order because of how she was that that that's how the jedi should be right but she clearly didn't represent the order no she was uh, not representing she represented the something other than the order which i don't know I'm, I'm gonna go back to my my previous point if she didn't say that she was um if she didn't even say that she was a representative of the foundational values of the of the jedi then i i wouldn't call her one clone wars as a whole and the finale especially brought us a new perspective on anakin's fall to the dark side not only was it the loss of Padme, the mistrust of the Council, twisting words of Sidious, but also now he's lost Ahsoka. How do you guys interpret the end in which we see him find her lightsaber at the gravesite of the clones? It's hard to interpret because they did not give us much, and I'll be honest, I was waiting for something. Like, in those moments of that, that just quiet Vader stalking the snow, seeing the clone helmet picking up the lightsaber all of that really had me kind of on the edge of my seat because i was like what what's gonna happen here like what is fixing to occur and really nothing did there was it was a very quiet moment vader looked up i think what it signified to me was that that light that luke saw in in anakin was still flickering even in that moment when he was full-on darth vader because that this was obviously years after um, the, the 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 scenes that we saw in this final season of Clone Wars, time had passed clearly. Um, but I think that what I took away from it, and I don't know if this is you know what they intended or not, was that that that, that flickering light of Anakin was still in there somewhere. I agree with that, hundred um, percent. I I think um, the moment that you saw Vader look up and he saw that that bird um fly over which um i i think was a representation of ahsoka um as still alive um that who knows whether vader thought she was still alive at that point or not i'd like to think he did um and that you know he kind of reflected a little bit and went back to went back to work uh, they've been there's been an announcement that one of the upcoming films or a new upcoming film will be directed by Taika Waititi who is the director of Thor Ragnarok and what we do in the shadows no details for the film have been given yet um, but a lot of the complaints about the sequel trilogy were its attempt at humor and Waititi is known to bring humor into serious plots do you think his film will be able to pull off funny without being cringeworthy I don't know. I'm not. So I like Taika Waititi. I think he's a. He seems really fun. And every interview I ever see with him, I think that's a guy I want to have a beer with. I like him, but I, frankly, I mean, everybody knows how big of a fanboy I'm of MCU. Ragnarok is my least favorite MCU film, and part of the reason is because of how tongue-in-cheek everything was. I like there to be stakes that make me feel something. I I think that it got so loosey goosey and fantastical and whimsical that that depth was completely lost and part of my issue and i know i'm in the minority here is that thor was a more serious property until watiti took control 
And I mean, I know Chris Hemsworth likes it better when he gets to be fun and funny, and he's actually more talented at fun and funny. But it, as far as just storylines, I don't want my beloved franchises to be turned into jokes and just slapstick and silly. Now, I'm not a fan of that. I, I couldn't disagree more. Surprise, surprise. Um, Thor Ragnarok was my favorite Marvel movie, <laughs> which I'm honestly not surprised to hear you say that it was your least only because it was my favorite. Um, they did so much uh, with so little, uh, at least in terms of like uh, the, the progression of various characters and the development of relationships that, I mean, it was, I don't know. Yes, there was some, some slapstick. Um, and that, I think, is what made that movie so much better. It wasn't slapstick that, in my opinion, detracted from the relationships of those characters. Here's my take on Taika Waititi in general. The man did Jojo Rabbit. And Jojo Rabbit is a comedy and a very serious movie about World War II Germany. He himself starred as an imaginary friend that was Adolf Hitler and was hilarious while still appreciating and respecting the tragedy of the reality of that time. That is genius to me. Taika Waititi, in my opinion, is one of the best filmmakers of our time. If he can manage that contradiction and do both of them well, um, I have full confidence that he can manage something like this. Well, the entire final season of The Clone Wars is now available for streaming on Disney+. Plus. If you have an account or are willing to use up your free trial, we cannot recommend it enough to Star Wars fans to get caught up on Ahsoka's story. Um, whether you like the way it ended or not, but especially given we've had some recent rumors that she'll be showing up in The Mandalorian Season 2. Ever since we last talked, the rumors coming out for Elder Scrolls 6, more and more have cropped up, and now there's a series of supposed leaks from Bethesda that have been making waves on the internet. If the leaks are to be believed, the game will take us to a return to High Rock. How much of the world's older content, such as history, locations, and possibly characters, will be rehashed or reused if this is true? Have we been to <clears throat> High Rock other than Elder Scrolls Online? I guess Daggerfall technically is in High Rock, right? Yep. Yeah, the the first the first two games had content in that in that area, um, arena and and Daggerfall. Um but not not a whole lot. Now we don't we I say we uh, Divine Conclave, the Soken ESO guild does not consider Daggerfall hard canon, is that correct? That is correct. That is a um, very conscious choice. And I think unique to us. 
simply because there's so much lore from those games that's been retconned in later games. Um, so, I mean, return to, I guess. I'm trying to figure out what we'll be returning to. We know that Elder Scrolls, well, we don't know nothing, really. I mean, I guess, um, I assume Elder, Elder Scrolls 6 is going to take further along in the timeline for Skyrim. <clears throat> so we will see our um, Elder Scrolls online locations that we might be relatively relatively familiar with um, centuries later. That would be something that I wouldn't necessarily like re rehashed or reused, but certainly some of those locations are still running and gunning, I'd think. Yeah, I do think one of the more interesting aspects of playing a game like Elder Scrolls Online is that we're able to see a, a lot of the content, a lot of the stuff that we see from games that are technically set in later time periods, but came out, you know, more than a decade ago in some cases. Um, uh, Morrowind, Oblivion, and Skyrim are all further along in the time period than Elder Scrolls Online. So it has been actually really interesting experiencing some of the content pre what we saw in those later games and there are a number of easter eggs that we've been able to experience one of my favorites was in eso um, talking to a particular dunmer in the vardenfell dlc um, and you get to interact with this dunmer while she's interacting with a dramora who is a uh, a daedra from the realm of oblivion and uh, she asks for eternal life. Uh, and this Daedra gives it to her in um, in return for something. And this happens to be an NPC, a very influential NPC that you interact with in the previous game, Morrowind. Those little nuggets and, and Easter eggs are fantastic for, you know, a nerd who just loves Elder Scrolls lore. I'm really excited if Elder Scrolls 6 is set in this area to see some of the eventual, um, I don't know, evolution of some of the crazy stuff that we see going on in High Rock and Hammerfell in uh, the, the time period that has been called the Interregnum, which is where Elder Scrolls on Online is set, <clears throat> which is an alliance between <clears throat> King Faharajad of Hammerfell and who is now High King Emmerich um, <clears throat> of the Daggerfall Covenant and their interrelations and the, the various just kind of weirdness that occurs throughout both of their um, territories to, to see hundreds of years in the future uh, what we see now in ESO I think is going to be awesome I'm actually really excited about saying that. That is all assuming if, that these leaks are to believed, which, eh, I don't yeah, know. Who knows? Yeah, there is a lot of talk going around that these leaks are likely false. But with a large-scale map, ships, and Lord of the Rings-style massive battles, are there any of the rumors that you're really hoping to be true? Actually, you do hope just that... named three. Yeah, those three are <laughs> BA. But then I'm actually just really hoping that the idea that it is High Rock Hammerfell is is true. Main reason is because those places, especially High Rock, is kind of high fantasy generic in some ways. Like, you know, there's there's something to me about the the purity of medieval. Um, I, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. <clears throat> A really classic 
fantasy RPG experience. And High Rock has the potential to, to deliver that just because of the nature of that area and the history of that nature, a history of that area and the way that the, the politics of that area work. It's kind of like your your noble houses happen in High Rock. And like I'm looking forward to some of that stuff. I don't know about the massive battles because I don't feel like Skyrim did that very well. I felt like the Civil War in Skyrim was kind of underwhelming especially after playing games like assassin's creed odyssey which we talked about last week the massive battles in that game were massive and there were people everywhere and you know picking out your targets from across the battlefield and hunting them down i mean that was really awesome if they can pull off something like that sure but you know skyrim didn't do it so well i think in in addition to that stuff and i i i find myself agreeing with you chase that um High Rock is interesting because, again, totally agreed with that high fantasy. It's it's the um, medieval Europe kind of feel, uh, where I, at least my like Tolkien-based fantasy mind tends to go. Um, I think about castles, and I think about lords, and I think about um, you know the the all of the things that that go with that. And High Rock is that to a T and it's, it's that for literally millennia throughout the elder scrolls timeline. It's kind of silly how technology never changes, but you know, it is what it is and, and we'll enjoy it across the span of millennia. Now, some of the other stuff that I'm excited about is all that stuff you mentioned. Uh, if it happens a large scale map, of course, duh, who doesn't want that? The whole the whole draw of Elder Scrolls really is that wide open map, the free form kind of gameplay. Um, ships, I don't know anybody who doesn't want ship travel. That just is a thing every gamer seems to want. To be able to get on a ship, have a crew, um, and travel where you'd like, and even have ship combat and all that's like that's everybody loves it. So, yes, do that if you can massive battles absolutely everybody's looking forward to that i think i'm gonna get on my pc high high horse here but um honestly i think some a lot of the limitations that came with skyrim were uh, they revolved around the fact that they were trying to cater to the consoles and what the consoles at the time could do uh and they simply couldn't handle massive battles now technology's advanced things have gotten um better uh, and I think Elder Scrolls 6 is looking to the next generation of consoles and what they might be able to pull off. And so I think larger scale battles are in the running for the possibility. Well, speaking of specs, given that they haven't they haven't announced a new engine to run the game on, supposedly there aren't any more new player races and Skyrim has been re-released a lot. What is this game going to have to do to avoid being another re-release of Skyrim? It's, there are some some elements that every Elder Scrolls game, <clears throat> at least the recent three, that not counting online, they must have. Well, even online to some degree. There are, you know, you have your Mages Guild, you have your Dark Brotherhood, you have your Thieves Guild. There are some things that have always been present in these games, and your character kind of works their way. You know, if you're RPing through, you pick and you pick your path. I I tend to do all of the content on my first character and, and he <laughs> he goes from you know the arc mage all the way to the the head of the dark brotherhood whatever 
those things are going to be there and i would ha i would i would i guess i would take issue with the question it's not really skyrim 2.0 but continuing on the path that elder scrolls games are like the single single player elder scrolls games just have some elements that are going to be there and that's fine that's kind of why we signed up for the the franchise where i think that they should be careful more than more than anything else is the main story whatever your your primary um main narrative is they got to be careful that it doesn't become something that we've already done and we've already done some pretty big things i mean the dragonborn saving Nern, being the nerevarine or whatever it's called like there's i don't know that there's a lot of they'll come up with something i'm sure of it but they've that's my my gauge for a success if they come up with a new niche niche uh avenue for the main storyline I think that's actually been one of the things that they've done best with um, the various Elder Scrolls games is the the narratives have been uh, honestly fantastic. Um, and I'm I'm not going to go through all the Elder Scrolls game. I think Meryl Ma oh boy, Morrowind um, is kind of the start of the the reinvention of Bethesda and reinvention of not Bethesda but the the Elder Scrolls narrative. Morrowind was about um, it, it, a rather region specific but honestly fantastic narrative it, it's probably one of the most uh, I don't know just unique and interesting fantasy worlds um, that players were dropped into um, that I think is what was its draw as well as it's just narrative power all the way through um, Oblivion also fantastic great story Skyrim another brilliant story now granted yes these were potentially world ending events that the protagonist needed to fix resolve stop um somehow intervene i don't think that's going to be different i don't think it should be different i think that's actually um a motif throughout elder scrolls games that um they should continue um, where I think they should avoid being a Skyrim 2.0 is they should make combat better. Granted, their narrative is brilliant. And that, I think, is the strength of Elder Scrolls games across the board. It has always been their combat that's been lacking. It's stale and honestly kind of crappy in a lot of ways. You, you kind of swing and you hit stuff and you hope that you hit it harder than it hits you um you have a spell that you can cast from your left hand or you can raise a shield with your left hand and honestly uh, it's a good mechanic in theory in practice yeah i mean i've anybody who has petrified an enemy and watched them fall over and then hacked them with a weapon has experienced the lackluster combat of elder scrolls games um it's it's disappointing um it could be done better and that is honestly what i'm hoping they manage to improve on you know just making a skyrim 2.0 the story i'm confident will be good even as disappointed as i've been with some of the recent decisions with eso i'm hoping they do something good with es6 hoping 
public opinion on Bethesda, for the moment, has been trending downwards, with some of their recent titles being some real hit and misses. Uh, do you think a new Elder Scrolls game is likely to change that narrative, or are we just too jaded? L likely is is not the right word, um, at least from my opinion. I've been equally disappointed with Bethesda, and frankly, I've been equally disappointed with some of the recent decisions that... Um, have been made with even Elder Scrolls Online's narrative. Um, the, Jace has heard me time and time again. So sorry, Jace, you're going to hear this again. But <laughs> I've we like dragons. Oh my god! <laughs> I have I've watched the lore of Elder Scrolls be forsaken for the sake of cool. I'm kind of hoping to regain some of that faith with ES6, but it has yet yet to be seen. I'm 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 not even cautiously optimistic. I'm just I don't know. I'm Cautious. neutral. <laughs> yeah. Listen, more dragons, more fun. I'm all for the dragons. In fact, I'm fine if they change it to where now all of our characters get their characters get their rad dragons. I want a dragon mount and I want to be able to fly from one side of Tamriel to the other. Get out of and this channel right now. <laughs> Laura be damned, give me my dragon mount. Um the bottom line on the question though, I, I think that there is one way to change the narrative, Bethesda, when you listen to our podcast, which I know you've got people listening. There's one way to change the narrative. Make it a good game. If it is a good game, people will like it. You, I think the Elder Scrolls already has a huge fan following. Obviously, Elder Scrolls does. It's it's always a, a good selling game. It is some, it's one of those games that a lot of people say is what drew them into the RPG uh genre i mean that's it's your first rpg morrowind what's your first rpg oblivion it's the usually the game that pulls people into that style of game um is an elder scrolls game so they've a lot going for them all they have to do is not bleep it up so give us a good story give us some good gameplay if they can improve combat all the better because i do agree that the combat can be very underwhelming um and a little easy even once you once you learn a few tricks but uh, that's all i want good game make it good we will buy and make it as moddable as base skyrim is so i can see more people oh, replacing man. dragons with uh thomas the trade engine or well, mods are good for the pc master race so i will um, second that and they make it where you can ride on dragons stop it chase mod me to happiness Alright, Elder Scrolls 6 has no official title yet, uh, and is supposedly going to be released sometime in 2022. With Bethesda's recent love for announcing release dates very, very close to time, it could be a while before we get any official information approved by the overlord Todd Howard himself. But we're anxious to see what comes next in Tamriel. No offense, Todd. Every offense, Todd. So we may be just a, a little late on the draw on this one, uh, but since we had just talked about The Last of Us 2 when its release date was pushed, we didn't want to overload on the same subject. Though we say that and we've had like maybe three episodes total that don't involve Star Wars of the show and this isn't even one of them. Um, but rather than point out more of our double standard, we'll just go ahead and talk about Naughty Dog uh, having apparently 
there were some leaks that were released. Naughty Dog has apparently tried to have them taken down. Um, we are going to be discussing those in relative detail. So again, if you are looking to avoid potential spoilers for The Last of Us 2 and unconfirmed rumors, um, now would be the time to go ahead and tune out of this section of the podcast. So Cowards. We're not going to give you a full rundown about how fair use works, because that's a lot of legal jargon. But trust us on this, that technically speaking, the leaks were legal, and Naughty Dog and Sony do have a right to take legal action against them. However, supposedly, they've also been targeting third parties who give information about the game, whether that information includes the videos or pictures from the leaks or not. Do you think that Sony and Naughty Dog are right to try and protect their franchise, or do you think they're overreacting? So, uh, my perspective on this Wait, comes can from... can I stop you right there? Are we going to get sued for talking about this? <laughs> because uh... I want to make sure my real name is nowhere on this. <laughs> hmm. Is that not the conundrum we find ourselves in? So, my perspective comes from a number of YouTubers um, and, and folks I follow on, on social media who tend to talk about games um particularly the games that i'm interested in following and the truth is um the last of us is while uh, uh while i criticize it for being console peasantry it was one of the best stories in gaming i've ever experienced as such i'm very interested in the last of us 2 now news about the last of us 2 has been interesting um to say the least the spoilers about the last of us 2 i'm disappointed in i'm um on on multiple levels i'm, I'm not gonna get into all that yet i think we're getting into that some some of that stuff later but the behavior of sony and naughty dog afterwards has been in my opinion reprehensible while yes they do have a right in my opinion to limit the release of the leaked material the stuff that um, screenshots videos and whatnot of material that they haven't put out that was stolen from them totally agree yes that stuff absolutely ought to be copyright claimed and it ought to be prevented from uh, being out there however people simply discussing the fact that leaks were leaked um have also been um copyright claimed and have fallen into this uh, whirlpool of sony and naughty dog and their um their affiliate company that's been responsible for the copyright claims um and that to me is an egregious um overstep it's a narrow path. I mean, honestly, I can see the perspective of <clears throat> you, you've got a property and you're going to release a game and you want it to sell well and you don't want leaks to get out. And the leaks are out. And now a lot of people are talking about the leaks. And, and where's the line of trying to shut it down and overstep? I don't know. I, I think that I think that in some ways, uh, the the leaders of both companies have an obligation to their shareholders and stakeholders to 
to shut it down as hard as they can. I think that maybe they will not be successful in their overreach and overstep, and that's good. I still think that the responsibility to make the attempt to shut down the talk is probably in their best interest. Um, whether I think it's the nice guy move, maybe not, but whenever has a corporation been the nice guy, very rarely. It doesn't happen a whole lot. They, they have a purpose, and that purpose is to make money, and if that money-making structure is threatened in some way, they, they should react and act and fix. That's what they are there to do. That's the job of of the the C-suite. Part of the leaks that came out included major plot points in gameplay and story that have upset quite a few fans. Um, if you did not heed our initial warning, this is where we are really entering spoiler territory, so this is your last chance to bail. So just to come right out with it, uh, the game has a second protagonist named Abby. According to the leaks, she is the daughter of the surgeon that Joel killed at the end of the first game. Not only does the perspective swap to Abby about halfway through the game, but she also apparently kills Joel by beating him to death with a golf club. Fans are angry as can be about Joel's death, and that will be playing as his killer. So do you think that fans have a right to be upset about this? Like, where do you think specifically that they're coming from? A right to be upset is an interesting turn of phrase. You, you know, feelings happen. We don't know where they come from. They just occur. And does somebody have a right to the way they feel? The fact of the matter is people are going to feel what they're going to feel, and you can't take that right away. It's 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 just part of being human. And if, if the majority of people don't like it, and the majority of people have bad feelings about it, then perhaps it's not the right choice for the the writers. But ultimately, it's the writer's story to tell in some respects. I mean... If if I were in the C-suite, again, going back to them, of Sony slash Naughty Dog, and I heard that the majority of the fans of this franchise are not liking what they have heard, I may talk to my writers and say, let's redirect, perhaps, and, and move things in a different direction. But do they have the right to feel that way? Absolutely. They can feel, we can feel however we want to feel, and often do. I think, in many ways, um, a fan base grows attached to a particular character um, for any, any number of reasons. That character either represents um, what they aspire to be or that character represents what they hope their dad was or what they hope their mom was or what, you know, whatever it is that drew that fan base to appreciate that character. Joel in The Last of Us um, was a character that... Um, was an interesting um, development i think he didn't start out as a hero he started out as um dark and um a character that people actually kind of disliked however he was a character that over the course of the game people grew to appreciate and people grew to love in a weird video game sense he was flawed, which is one of the things that I think makes a good character. <clears throat> Perfect characters suck. When you have a character that is so beloved for not only their virtues, but also their flaws, that character deserves a worthwhile end. I don't think it, it is a surprise to people <clears throat> that The Last of Us 2 
was going to spell the death of Joel. I, I really don't. I, I think for some people, yes, they might have been surprised, but honestly, narratively, it was the, the way to go. However, the way he was killed is what upset a lot of the folks who, well, I say the way he was killed. This is all speculation. This is all um, the leaks, but according the to the The way he is leaks, allegedly killed. The way he is allegedly killed is the same kind of disappointing death that the fans of Luke Skywalker experienced. It's disappointing. I don't know. There's part of me that is that takes a little issue with the fact of, of calling Joel heroic. There's, I mean, he was a guy, and we took a journey with the guy and got to know the guy, but the guy really... It, it's hard to pull yourself out of the of the narrative, sure, but if you think about in the grand design, he kind of chose a selfish path rather than a way to find a cure to a devastating disease and where he could have saved the entire human race. That's not super heroic, really. That's, it was a selfish choice. Now, do we feel like it was right based on our, our proximity to the characters? I mean, there's a, you know, what would, what would I do in that situation? Would I choose the life of, of Ellie over all of humanity? I don't know. I mean, that's that's a tough question, and it's a good question for for a story. But one of the things that I liked about early Game of Thrones is when Pete, when characters, even characters that we liked, engaged in hubris, they found their way to a an ugly death. And to me, that's kind of what's happening here. Um, Joel made a bad choice in the grand scheme of the universe, maybe not in the microcosm, but in the grand scheme of the universe, and the universe paid him back. Or will pay him back allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. But you know that that allegedly. That's, that's one of the that's a that is a grand theme of a lot of classic storytelling. I I don't I don't think I would have made a different decision than Joel made. Altruism is something I like to think I have, but if I had to sacrifice one of my children or even a person who I perceived as my child, I don't think i would do that i don't think i could joel made a human decision and to punish him with this kind of um anticlimactic and rather disappointing end i think is um it's an error uh the way that i've kind of come to look at the end of the original last of us um is that well, no matter what choice you made you were going to sacrifice humanity it was just a question of will you sacrifice your humanity or like humanity in terms of compassion and understanding and empathy with fellows that you wouldn't sacrifice another human being um, for medical experimentation or humanity as a concept of things that maybe we could one day recover and joel chose to keep the humanity that he experienced day to day rather than the concept of humanity as a whole. Yeah, I agree with that. Part of the leaks also suggests that the ending of the game will involve Abby, as like with players playing as Abby, fighting Ellie with mixed reports on whether out whether Ellie will actually survive. The intention, as far as we can tell, is to tell a story about how revenge is cyclical and it can make anyone into a villain. Do you think that that's a story worth telling despite 
the way people might feel, the way fans have felt. Not in a GD video game, and that's why I'm not a huge fan of this franchise. It's just too much darkness for me, I'm going to be honest with you. It's a little dark-sided, and I I get the point. <laughs> I get the point of wanting to tell a story like this, but I feel like it could... I don't know. I, I don't want to be too judgy. I feel like a better medium for this story is film. I feel like film could really tell it well, but I also understand the perspective when you're playing a game, you feel like you're that character and you're in it and that's very impactful. It's just not something I want to do. I don't want to feel like that. I don't want to I don't need to learn that lesson in a video game. That's not why I play video games. I know that's my perspective, but I'm generally right. If I say something, chances are you're gonna to want to bet on that because I always turn out to be right in the end. <laughs> Well, as much as I think I'm right when I disagree with you, Jace, <clears throat> I have to say, in this instance, I agree with you 100%. While the idea um, that vengeance is cyclical and, um, like, that's a trope that has existed for m millennia. It's, it's not a new story. Um, Naughty Dog, I think, is trying to tell an old story through a new medium. And for that, you know, I applaud them for the ingenuity of it. They have created a story whereby you have to, if the leaks are true, you have to experience a story through the eyes of your former hero. You have to watch your former hero die. And then you have to play as that hero's killer while somehow endearing yourself to the killer of that hero who is now on a uh, mission of vengeance against um, your former hero the idea i think is to demonstrate to the player that it's not as cut and dry as good or evil i can appreciate that perspective i don't want to play through that perspective no thank you uh, yeah i i have absolutely no desire to experience that through the game and i think that's honestly been one of the most damaging things to naughty dog throughout this whole ordeal is that they're taking the brilliance of last of us it was one of the greatest narrative video games i have ever experienced and and granted i'm i'm um I think Jace disagrees with me. We, t we talked about that. But it, to me, was impactful. Very impactful. They've taken that, the loyalty of those fans, and they're hoping to capitalize on that in order to tell a completely different story, in order to tell a completely different kind of story of cyclical vengeance, and you're going to play as the villain, and there's no such thing as a villain. Like, no, you killed Joel people loved this character and now you're painting ellie as a villain ellie who's doing horrific things that you don't have any choice but to do to progress the plot and then you have to play as abby who hunts ellie in order to progress the plot like nobody wants to do these things um so i think naughty dog has they've taken a bold step for sure i applaud them for doing something outside the norm but i this is just bad whoever advised them to do this and i think i know who advised them to do this 
I think it's bad. We know Kathleen Kennedy. Oh my God, does she have to be the <laughs> villain was, in every it story? It wasn't Kathleen Kennedy. It was somebody worse. Somebody way worse. They were subverting expectations, so that means it was Rianne Johnson. <laughs> Troy Baker himself stated that this installment in the Last of Us series was going to split the fan base, and leaks have been a hell of an example to that. The Last of Us 2 is slated to release on May 29th. And we're just gonna have to wait and see how the fans' reactions affect the franchise. Alright, so we've, we've had some discussions today. Uh, I think it's time for something a little more lighthearted. So for today's Tea Time question, I ask you both to look back on your time as internet denizens and tell me what your favorite meme format is. Is the Irma Gerd girl still viable? Because that one always made me laugh. The Goosebumps girl. Y'all remember that one? I, I do. do. I loved that one. Irma Gerd made me laugh too every time I saw it. So, so I could not answer this question. I have thought and thought and thought. T-H-O-T uh, multiple times over this particular question. And I don't have a good answer because the truth is memes have very short lifespans. And the whole idea of being a meme is that it's a multinational rage for a week and then it disappears. However, if I'm going to choose a favorite... Big Chungus made me pee my pants. <laughs> Big Chungus. That one's funny too. I'm, I'm also <laughs> kind of partial to the Drake, I don't like it, now I like it meme. I, I think, but mostly because I think Drake is kind of attractive. Of course you do. Big Chungus has a song. And I found the song catchy too. <laughs> I think that's what I what I like most about it. Big Chungus is just so random. It's so weird. It's just such a like it's two seconds of uh, a cartoon that has become a meme legend. Like that's kind of the genius of memes, is that they're not a single person's genius, they're a collective genius it's you know is this funny enough to be carried on yes can i add wit to this and is that wit indicative of my savvy of of having seen this thing over the course of the last week if all those metrics are met you have a new meme and that's the brilliance of it you can't have an old meme like that defeats the purpose I don't know. My favorite one is definitely the art, the uh, the scene from like the the Iron Giant, where it's just the the one character that lives in the scrapyard. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, when he throws his hands up in the air and he's just like art. Art, yes, 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 yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it represents generally screaming about a topic of the world, and I can relate. <laughs> that nobody else understands. You're like, no, it's art. Yes, totally. If you'd like to submit a tea time question for the podcast, head on over to SoakinGaming.com slash SoakinMedia and find the submission bar on the right-hand side of the page. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this week. 
And remember, and I actually get to say this one, we'll see if it gets bleeped out or not. It probably will. Don't be a dick online. For more Soken Media, visit us on SokinGaming.com forward slash Media. Follow our Twitter at SokinGaming and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Soken Gaming Community. And look for future episodes of the podcast on Google Podcasts and iTunes. Until next time, I've been T. I used to be Jace. I have and will remain Leo. And we'll see you next week. Stay classy, Soken. Thank you for listening to the Soken Community Podcast. Craving more? Visit us on Twitter and YouTube at Soken Gaming, as well as our website, www.sokengaming.com. Until next time, stay classy. Right, Jace?